everybody. Welcome to Trinity Bible Church. Um, we're having a few little technical problems today, so we're going to old school today. We'll be singing a hymn uh, out of our hymnals. So does everybody have a hymnal available to them? Uh, if not, we can get one for you. But thank you for joining us today, for being here, uh, and for having the opportunity to come together to fellowship with one another and certainly to worship our Lord. Um, I wanted to offer real quickly a, um, a scripture through uh, verse, I'm sorry, Psalm 139 verses 17 to 24. And it goes like this. 
I think all, all of us are very familiar with this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are most than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do not I loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. Strong words. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. These are the important words for us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We're going to be um, having a word today from uh, Brother Bruce. Uh, he's going to be speaking about obedience today. So um, I pray that, you know, this, this word in particular and, and uh, you know, as we get ready to study the word, that our, all of our hearts would be open to receive what uh, will be before us and evaluate our hearts and move forward with that. So thank you again all for joining us today. Um, before I start is Andrew Handy. He's in the, he's in the outside hallway, right? There's going to be an outreach at um, the Tent City up in Neptune. I think we've all been aware of that. I know there's a collection drive going on right now. Andrew can fill you in on the outreach that we're doing next week. Good morning, Trinity. I promise I won't sing. <laughs> yes, we got an outreach next week, Tent, tent City. Um, it's going to be amazing. Thank you for all the canned goods that you brought over there. I see in the basket. It's going to be well guaranteed blessings for um, Jesus Christ. Now, when we go out there next weekend, it's going to be behind ShopRite. So when we walk out there, we're going to see all these tents. It's like a whole bunch of tents out there, you know, and I, I just spoke to Albert. He was out there prior, probably like, what, two weeks ago? And um, he experienced some amazing things over there, too. It's, it's a lot of homeless over there, people on drugs, trying to get off of drugs, alcohol. We just trying to go out there and spread the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know. That's what we out there to do and show love to one another. You're going to meet different peoples out there. And it's going to take a lot of people out their comfort zone, and we're just going to be there together, this fellowship, and worship together. But I guarantee you, you'll be changed forever when you come out there. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, by the way, still, if you want to bring anything for the outreach, you can do that next week. Um, they'll be able to provide you with, um, uh, you know, anything that we need to, to go up there. More importantly, though, whatever you can bring, especially canned goods and other things like that, uh, please feel free to bring that. One more week. The collection bin is out in the foyer right as you walk in the back entrance there. So if you can join us next week, please do that, uh, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by that. Uh, before we sing, I'd like to see if we can just open us in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for your wisdom and guidance today. We pray for our hearts to be ready to receive your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come and sing joyful songs, Lord, things that um, have been with us for years. We thank you for your love and for your compassion for us, for your everlasting uh, forgiveness, uh, for your trust and faith in us, even when we fail you, Father. Uh, Father, I pray that our hearts would be stronger uh, as a result of our time to, ga to gather together today, Lord, as we hear your word and we, res we respond to it. Uh, pray now that you would be blessed, Lord, by the song that we will sing. May it be sweet music to your ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the, the hymn we're going to sing today is number 349. It's called Trust and Obey. 
I think probably most of us are familiar with this. So if you can open to 349, thank you, Sally. Or, yeah, thank you, Sally, for being able to pray at, at the last minute and play for us. Uh, we're going to sing all five verses. All right? Thank you. And I'm not going to lead you in song. time, we'll ask Bruce to come up and share uh, from the Word for us.
better? Oh, great. Okay, so this has been an interesting morning. It's hard enough to do this, but then when the, this goes out and you can't use your PowerPoint, uh, puts you in a little bit of a edgy. So anyway, but the people in the back, my Gil and my wife, have done a wonderful job of, of printing out my props for me. These are my PowerPoints. So I'm going to be okay. About five minutes ago, I wasn't sure. <laughs> but anyway, so... Uh, how we'll start is, this might be a little more difficult for you guys because you're always used to seeing things on the screen. And what I'm going to have to do is we're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. And the old-fashioned way would be I'll just point you to different scripture verses if you want to follow along. So if you, you want to get a Bible, it'd be a great time to get one now. If you feel like you want to flip through. There's Bibles all throughout the chairs and stuff like that. We're going to just go through it the old-fashioned way. But the title is How Does How Obedience determines God's will. Haven't you always, isn't that the, like the, the profound question? You know, what does God want me to do? What does he have in mind? It's really quite simple. It really comes down to being obedient to what he wants, and then he calls you in response to your obedience. And we're going to look at a story in the, in the book of Genesis where, the, where we see the acts of obedience over and over again. So again, how obedience determines God's will. So what we can do is, I was just going to do this, go back for a minute to Pastor Keith's message last week. And if, for some of you who were here, you remember, uh, it was from 2 Peter 1.12. 2 Peter, that would normally be up on the screen, but it's not. But I'll read it. And basically it was there, it says, what Peter was saying, therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And if you remember, he was holding up a football, Super Bowl, and Vince Lombardi, remember? And the idea was remind, remind you of the things. Now look what it says here. This is really key. I'm going to re that, remind you of the things that have been established in the truth which is present in you. There is no difference between the readers of that time and you and I. The same, it's the same message to us. We have been reminded, and you're all here today, because we, were, we are to remind ourselves of the truth that's been established. So the question is, why should we remember? Well, because we forget. We easily forget. So I thought what we would do is just start out before we delve into obedience and understanding God's will for our life. What are the, what are the, what are the things that Jesus left us with where he asked us to pay attention to? And I wrote down here, there's, I saw, Jesus says there's two great commandments. There's actually, in my mind, there's a third and if we look at Matthew, this book of Matthew, I'm just going to read it out loud. The first commandment, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, that's Matthew 22, 
verses 37 and 40. We all know it well. But then at the end of Matthew, in chapter 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded, and I am going to be with you till the end of the age. Those are the three great commandments. So, for us to understand God's will, we need to be obedient to what Jesus told us to do. So obedience leads us to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves, and go forward and proclaim the gospel. So through that obedience, I believe God's going to reveal his will to us, each and every one of us, on a personal basis. And that's the, that's the act of obedience. So let's look a little bit further. Here's the problem with obedience. We live in a culture that says obedience is bogus. We live in a culture that says self-interest rules over obedience. There is a conflict. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he said to his disciples, anyone who wished to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, there's a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. See, I look at it like an analogy with a football stadium or soccer stadium, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want, however you want to see it. The pe- at, if we assume that everyone in the stadium is a Christian, the believers are the people in the stands and the people on the field playing to be those working out to be a disciple. You know how Pastor Keith gets up here every single week and sometimes I'm like, do we have to say this every single week? But he does. It's for a reason. We need to learn, grow, and serve. He says it every Sunday. He doesn't miss a Sunday. There has to be a reason why he's emphasizing that. Those three acts create a person who wants to be a disciple of Jesus, picking up his cross, carrying it, versus being just a believer in Jesus Christ. There's a next step that makes us a disciple maker. So, as I alluded to before, we have a problem in our culture because we have a culture of self versus obedience. You don't see, you don't see commercials on TV emphasizing obedience. You see commercials on TV saying, you deserve a great vacation. How come you haven't got a great-looking car? We see commercials that are about yourself. So the challenge to being obedient to God's word and finding out your will versus self is putting down your, slaying self. In other words, any time that self is promoted because of our fleshly nature, it's going to conflict with obedience. And we need to be aware of that. So some of the things that, that, some of the things that fight you, that war against obedience would be, for example, like I told you, the commercials on TV, those kind of things, but also social media. Social media 
if you go on social, and I don't do it on, I, mean, I don't really, I'm, I'm involved with social media. My wife might show me some things occasionally, but, but basically it's, most people are putting things up there to promote themselves. They're promoting themselves. So the danger is you can spend a whole lot of time there promoting yourself and then not realizing that, wait a minute, there's got to be part of me to be obedient to God's will or his word to understand as well. They're, they're fighting against one another, and we need to be aware of that. So what does, it mean to be a, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to take up your cross? What, what does that mean? What, what would that entail? I think of things like this. Generosity with your time and resources. Generosity. In other words, you're thinking of your neighbor. You're thinking of God. In other words, those two great commandments. Having generosity with time and resources would be, be trying to be obedient and sacrificing and basically not looking at yourself because you're not, when we start to elevate ourselves, we get ourselves in trouble. So I think of that. Okay? Serving others. Prayer. Studying God's word. Those would be areas where we're trying to be obedient to God's call. And, fr and from those acts, God will reveal his will to each and every one of us, personally. And then just thought of one thing, just giving up a Sunday. Giving up a Sunday. In other words, you could be doing a whole bunch of other stuff today. But the fact that you have decided that I want to be obedient and give up my Sunday. Oh, thank you. I had one here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Great. Thanks, Bill. Giving up a Sunday is another act of, you know, Obedience to God. So that's the jug position going forward. The world's emphasis on self, and then God's emphasis on follow me, obey me, determine your will for your life. Okay? So we're going to look at a story in the Bible. In Genesis, if you want to take a moment and turn there, it's Genesis 24, 1 through 9. By the way, guys, I really appreciate the fact, Gil, Appreciate the fact you printed this out in large print. Great. So this would be on the screen above you. It's Genesis chapter 20, uh, 24. And we're going to look at this whole story of Isaac finding a bride. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll read a little bit. We'll talk a little bit, read a little bit more, and we'll work our way through it. So turn to Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Okay. So I'll read it out loud. You guys can get there. I'll take a few more minutes. There's a great, listen, I'll tell you a couple things. Any time in the Bible where there's an inordinate amount of time spent on a story, there are stories in the Bible that are short and sweet. But then when there's a story in the Bible where there's a long length of time spent on that story, and then the story is repeated a second time, it has to get your attention. It has to get your attention. Because God is trying to basically say, look, this is an important message, and he spends an ordinary amount of time working through that. So let's look at it together. Verse, we're going to look at verses 1 through now. Now, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, 
please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And then Abraham said to him, beware lest you take my son back there. Like, no way. Don't do this. I'm giving you specific instructions. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from the father's house, from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, to your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. Now let's just stop there. Now some of you may not be aware of like who Abraham is and the reason for the emphasis that's going on here. Abraham was called by God to, earlier in the book of Genesis. He's called out by God, by God's sovereignty. By God's sovereignty, he calls out Abraham and he calls Abraham out and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation of many descendants. The descendants are going to be so like the stars in the sky, the sand of grain in the ocean, the beaches. That's how your descendants are going to be. So he gives him this promise. And through, Gen through Abraham's life, he reminds him several times because we all need to be reminded. And we get to this place here where he's going to find a wife for his son Isaac. You can see here the emphasis Abraham places on this covenant. This covenant that God made with him to call him out and to go here, and you're going to be a great nation. There's an emphasis there, and Abraham is very careful about how he wants to go forward. It's almost like if you, if you were the, a founder of a company and you're near death and you want to pass on some things to your son because you want the company to sustain itself, you would be very specific in your instructions as how you want that to go forward. He's doing the same thing here, okay? So he has a choice servant. You can see here this servant is his lead servant, his most trusted servant, and he is, his name is Eleazar, okay? And Abraham is, let's just say this. I'm going to repeat this word, obedience, through this whole message. Abraham is obedient to the covenant. He's obedient. He knows this is what's happened. I'm near the end of my life. I've got to find the right person for Isaac. And so he's obedient to God's call that he originally made to him a long time ago. So we see obedience there also. And the servant, Eleazar, is also obedient because he wants to follow through and he's obedient to his master, Abraham, and he's also obedient to God himself. So you can see the role of obedience here that's being played, okay? So that, that, that's great. Okay, so let's go forward here, okay? So uh, let's read forward here. Then Abraham said to him, beware. He doesn't want his son to go to your descendants. I will give this land. That's that promise, verse 7. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. So you notice here that he doesn't even want uh, the servant to take Isaac back in fear of something may happen to Isaac because Isaac is a 
descendant of this promise. And if we look at today, if we look back today, throughout the Old Testament, God orchestrated that descendant through the line up to Jesus. Very specific. So Abraham is serious. He's serious about the whole thing. His servant is serious. And even today, we can see the remnant of this. We can see the remnant, the fact that there are people, the Jewish nation has, uh, you know, reconstituted itself in that promised land. So what does this mean for us? You might be like, you know, it's kind of boring. Descendants, all that kind of stuff. We, this, this procedure of a descendant that's in the line toward Jesus, we as Gentiles were grafted in in the New Testament, into this family. We are also members of this descendant, as Gentiles. We are married together. We have been grafted in. You know, grafting is like a horticultural term. You can take one plant, and then they call it, you take a scion of another plant. And if you want this plant to be commingled with the other plant, there's a process where you're going to strip down that branch and you're going to match these cambium layers. They're called cambium layers. It's actually cell to cell. You're matching cell to cell. So you match, up cell, you match them up cell to cell, these two branches. You put wax around it to hold the moisture in. You tape it. And over a period of time, those two branches become two things in one. That's what that term grafting means. So we as Gentiles, We've been grafted into the Abrahamic covenant. So that's the big picture here. And so we, and knowing that, the, the magnitude of that, also want to be obedient to God's call for his will in our life at the same time. Okay? So let's go on. Uh, also, just to note here, as we go forward, uh, let me read again some more. Uh, in verse 8, let's go to verse 8. Uh, but... If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from my oath. Now, let's talk about the oath. Uh, you know, I'm a horticulturist. I have my own company. And we have a, you know, we'll occasionally from time to time I'll write a contract. Um, I probably should write more contracts. I'm not the best at, you know, I probably, if I would do it all over again, I'd write a lot more contracts. But I've, I've been fortunate that God has been good to me. Because in the 35 years I've been doing this, I've never had one person renege on anything I've done. Never. So I, I see that as God's blessing because I have no control over that, right? But every once in a while, sometimes a client might be a big project. Maybe it's a $50,000 job or 100 something like that. And, and the client will ask us, listen, do you mind if we rewrite a contract? I guess they want, they want it more than I do. And it's a good idea. So I have a contract in my computer, you know, it's already spit out. And that's a, that's a contract that's, that is binding. So if there was a problem, and I've, I've heard of many times where people take people to court and, and they, the judge will ask, do you have a contract? And if you don't have a contract, there's nothing they can do. They can't, you can't hold that person. If there's a disagreement, you have no, you have no leverage. None at all. So contracts are written. So this when he asked Eleazar to put his hand under his thigh, is a contract that was used in those days. And basically it meant like, you're under my authority. You're under my authority. 
And so when you do that and you swear that, which he's alluding to here in, in verse 8, when he's alluding to that, it's a big deal. And if you somehow renege on the contract, his, Abraham's descendants have the authority under that oath to, do, to come back at you. So that's, the, that's, the, that's that image of the contract, what it means. So basically he says here in verse 8, if the woman's not, not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath and do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under his thigh, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. And verse 10, then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master, set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. He rose and went to Mesopotamia. In other words, back where Abraham came from. He doesn't want Isaac marrying the, the, the local population because he sees them as evil. He wants to go back to his own family to, and asking his servant to find a wife to secure the covenant. Again, acts of obedience, acts of obedience, okay? And he rose in Mesopotamia and went to the city of Nahor. Let's read on. Verse 11. And he made the camels. Now remember, the servant's going off, long journey. He made the, he made the camels kneel down outside the city of the well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. I love that. I love that. You know, when you're doing something, do it, when it if it makes sense. If it makes sense. And here's another really interesting thing here. Eleazar, the servant, is using his free will. He's using his free will, making a decision that seems logical. Seems logical. Okay? And he said, and, and he said, now. And he said in verse 12, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master. So I love this part too because prayer is an obedient act. Remember our, cons our to topic is obedience, Gain gaining God's will through obedience. How do we do that? Yes, like we've talked about giving things up, taking up your cross, those things. But also the act of prayer is an act of obedience, seeking God's pleasure, looking for God for answers. So that's verse 12. And behold, I am standing by the spring, still in this prayer, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl who I say this, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom thy high house appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. But what's going on here? He's actually praying for a specific sign for him to know what's the right, what is the right choice for a wife for Isaac. So he asks this question. He prays this question, okay? And it came about, verse 15, before he had finished speaking, that Rebekah, who was born to Bethel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. In other words, this is a very close family relationship, okay? Very close family relationship. going back to Came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now, I... 
I've, I've looked at some information. How much water, does anybody know how much water? I had no idea. I thought to myself, and here's what I thought. Ten camels are showing up. And he's praised for this girl who, you know, they, and that period of time, the girls of the fathers went out and got the water. So she's she has a jar of water, and he's, he's praying that not only will the water satisfy my personal needs, but my 10 camels. Now, I, I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, that's a, that's a tall order. I mean, 10 camels. So I looked it up. Camels, at, when, they're, when they're ready to be, when they need water, they can drink up to 20 gallons of water. And now, this here is five gallons of water. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I can put it on my shoulder, but it might spill it. She had a jar with a cap, but she's carrying water on her shoulder. Now, this is five gallons, so I need four of these per camel. Okay, this five gallons of water weighs 40 pounds. So that's 160 gallons per camel. That's 1,600 pounds of water. A ton is 2,000 pounds. So this is like a big deal. Like this isn't going to be done in like two seconds. This might take an hour. Because she's constantly pouring the water in the trough. So, and, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, the jar that she's using is not as big as this. So she's, this is a big lift. So he's, he's specifying that, can she do this? Okay? So it's quite a tall order. Okay? So it came out and we finished, and she comes out, and the girl was very beautiful. This is verse 16, a virgin, and no man had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from the jar. He asked that. And she says, drink, my Lord, in verse 18. And she quickly lowered her jar in her hand, gave her, him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she says, I'm also going to draw water for the camels until they have completely finished drinking. So this is what she does. Now it came about when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water also for your camels and they finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well and draw more. And she drew this all for the camels. Okay? So here she is with this effort. And then in verse 21, meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. I think he's sitting there going, wow. You know, I can't believe I just prayed this, and this is amazing what's going on in front of me. Because he uses the word gazing at her in silence. I think he's pretty, like, dumbfounded. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Or maybe this was really easy because all I had to do was pray, and God provided in this matter. Okay? So, again, we have loyalty, obedience, these kind of things going on. Okay? Let's move on to the story. Let's move on to the story. Verse 22. And it came about... When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring. He's convinced now. This is, the, this is the wife for Isaac. Weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets in her wrist, weighing 10 shekels in gold. And said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? 
Now, a shekel, look this up too, just was curious. A shekel is about a day's wage. So I kind of did some calculations. I figured, I don't know. I mean, I'm not even sure what the minimum wage is anymore. But I figured roughly $17 an hour. I went with that. So if you look at $17 an hour, a, a, minimum, a day's wage is about $140. So if you look at these kind of things, these gifts here, you know, that, those, those wrists the wrist weighing 10 shekels, it's going to be like worth $1,500. So it's, you know, they're, they're really nice. They're, they're great gifts. They're worth something. They're valuable. Okay? And she said to him, I am Nahor. Said to, him, I am the I said to him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of Malka, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. So he requests to lodge there, and she goes. She says, we got plenty of room for you. Okay? So the Nahor, if we look here, Nahor in verse 24, Nahor is going to be her brother. So he is, by, by descendants, by law, he's the one responsible for basically giving her, her over at this request. Okay? And in verse 26, Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord. And he said, again, an act of obedience. An act of obedience. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. So again, what does obedience do for us? It leads us to worship. Obedience leads us to worship. So that act of obedience, by obeying God, the, the outflowing of it, the outflowing of the act of obedience and praising God is a worshipful posture. You're now worshiping. These are all the blessings of obedience. And then he says here, as for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. So again, obedience, giving God credit for guiding me to this house. Now, this is what's interesting. The Lord is guiding him toward this end result. But along the way, there is the opportunity for free will because the person's acting in a sense of free will. And that happens to us every day. Every day. So, here's what I wanted to say. We have the, the idea of obedience. We're, we're obeying God. God is sovereign. He is going to end things and get to the end of his call, what he wants for mankind, no matter what. That's going to happen. But because of the love relationship, because of the relationship he gave us in Genesis, outside of animals, he gave us a soul, and he desired for us to have a relationship of love. So what's the, what's the, what's the result of that? Free will. I've got to give mankind free will. So if we looked at the whole length and breadth of the Bible, we'd find out, all, we'd, we'd see all kinds of decisions and free will, either both good and bad, both good and bad, and probably more bad than good because of man's fallen state. But God orchestrates things through all that, through all that. And that's the, that's the beauty of this relationship, this sort of tension 
between God's end result and us. So what would be God's will for you? I'll give you, I'll give you an example of what happened just today. Now, I was asked to do this weeks ago, 19. And for me, understanding God's will, okay, I've always felt like if I'm asked to do this to support the pastor, um, I'm just going to say yes, unless something else is going on. That's how, that's how I feel about it. So I, I exercise free will, but I felt like that's a call that I want to fulfill. Because if you're, in the, if you're in your word, you're praying, you're obeying God, these things will, will come. That's why determining God's will is, is, is quite easy. Because if you're doing those foundational things, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to, like, all of a sudden go, you know what, I don't care about you. Because he's counted the hairs on your head. I mean, do you know how many hairs you have on your head? You don't have any. You have nothing. You got nothing. You can't. Anyway, if, he, if you have a God that understands and counts the number of hairs on your head, and you're seeking him in obedience... He's going to respond. I mean, that's just a guarantee. So I say yes, okay? And then through that, we, things happen in the course of the days leading up to it that would almost question whether or not I can do it, okay? But exercising free will would be, I can't do those things. I got the choice. I can't do those things. This is more important. I'm going to fulfill this obligation. But I could, either, I could have said, I can't do it either. Could have done that too. But I have free will throughout the process. But that's how God is going to work. He's going to give us things that, are, that he places on our heart that we want to go forward and do. So the 19th, of preaching on the 19th was pretty much an easy decision. But I was offered, I'm given free will to make that decision within God's sovereignty for my life my life. He's got a call for my life, just like he has for every, each and every one of us, okay? So the Lord's guided him, okay? So just to kind of sum this up a little bit, um, we can basically, let's talk about, for example, hold, hold on, let me get my notes. Yeah, so what can we glean from this story? I wish we had the PowerPoint, because I got the bullet points, but that's okay. The key word to this passage, the key word, this passage is a, is a Hebrew word called hasid, H-E-S-E-D. Okay, that's the Hebrew word. And it means, now listen to this, listen carefully. Throughout this whole story, it means loyalty to the covenant or obedience. If you look through this, everybody's obedient. That's why the story is great. And by the way, I didn't want to take up too much time. But remember we left off where he goes to the house of her brother? She's invited. She goes, yeah, you can come. There's housing, all this kind of stuff. You know what, know what happens? You guys can take this home and read it on Monday morning. He's so excited, the servant, that he goes and he reiterates the entire story to his brother in his house. Because he's excited and blown away by it. So the entire story is repeated a second time in the same chapter. So God's like, listen. This is such a cool story. I want all your readers to understand how cool it is. I'm going to devote a whole chapter to it. And by the way, he's going to repeat the whole thing again. 
because then he wants the brother to understand the magnitude of it. He's like, by the way, this is, I come this foreign land, one of your relatives, Abraham, brought me over here. By the way, look at all the cool things that happened. The brother is left with like, yeah, yeah. And then he says in, the, in, that, in that second session, can she stay a little bit longer? You know, and he's like, I don't really want, I don't really want you to do that. I got instructions with my master. I'm supposed to bring her back right away. And the brother says, well, let's just leave up to Rebecca, see what she says. And she's like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. So the whole story is repeated a second time. Worth noting. Worth noting. So if that word, that word has seed, that Hebrew word in the seed, obedience to the covenant, all other positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, it goes beyond normal duties. Like this is just, okay, here's the normal stuff, but then you elevate it to another level, and that's what's being acted out in this story, a higher level of obedience where you're, all the attributes of God you're trusting in and giving him, giving him uh, worship. So Abraham, how was he obedient? He's preparing for his future. He's preparing for the future. He's old. I want to make sure I secure this because of, he believed in the covenant. He believed in the fact that we would be here today, grafted in. Elazar carries out his desires to the T. God is performing his sovereign will throughout the story. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful example of God following through and allowing mankind to show obedience toward him. You see that? He's got the whole thing going here, his sovereign will, but he's gifted us with allowing us to be obedient to him, and that creates the relationship. It's perfect. It's a great story in that. And then Rebecca has faith, and she responds. So she's obedient. Okay? She's obedient. So, God is the sole cause of all events in the story throughout human history. Because Elijah says, the Lord has led me. And God is deliberately working behind the scenes, directing things to a sovereign end. So, I got one more thing I want to talk about. Okay, this I might need my glasses for. Uh, over the weekend, I was looking up, uh, hold on a second. I was looking up, um, um, Eric Lytle. Everybody remember Eric Lytle, the sprinter? Chariots of Fire movie? Some of you who are young, you probably don't even, it won an Academy Award in 1981. It was about an Olympic racer named Eric Lytle, okay? And his story of faith and obedience is worth talking about because he was in the 1924 Olympics in France. Basically, he was supposed to run the heat for the 100-yard dash. Now, a heat doesn't mean he was in the finals. This is a heat to get to the finals. But the heat happened to fall on a Sunday. Okay? And he knew it months ahead of time. And he refused to run. Now, that, in the movie, they show how people tried to convince him of otherwise. Hey, listen, you know, that kind of thing. But basically, 
they were, you know, they respected his decision. But he wasn't going to run that 100-yard, which he's a favorite to win. This is like he's the fastest, he's the fastest person at that time on the planet. And he's favored to win this 100-yard dash. But he's going to stand his ground. Now, I'm not saying we all, all of a sudden on Sundays, you know, we're not going to do any of these kind of things. We live in a different culture. But he respect, but he was obedient to God's call for him. For him. Because God gives us free will to make those decisions out of grace. Out of grace. It's not lorded over us. It's not a heavy burden. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. No. Because of grace, he allows us the freedom. So he's still going to love Eric Lytle, even if he decided to run the 100-yard dash. That's the point. He's still going to love him because if he's given his life to Jesus, Jesus is going to love him through the decisions he makes, either good or bad. But in response to this, now he has to run the 400-meter dash. And he's not good at it. He's not good at it. So he's practicing for the 400-meter dash. And when he's about to run the 400-meter dash in the finals, you know, for the gold medal, um, one of the persons that was working on that Olympic team, that English Olympic team in 1924, just before he's ready to race, um, hands him a folded envelope, a folded piece of paper, and he opens it up, and he reads, he reads the message as he's ready to race. It says, this is, what, this is what this person says. As the old book says, the good old book says, he that honors me, I will honor. That was handed to him by a person he didn't even know that was on this team supporting the Olympic guys. He was profoundly moved that someone other than his coach believed in him and the stance he had taken. He went on to win the 400-meter dash and a gold medal. So how do I see this? I just look at that. Those are decisions we can make every single day. If, we believe, if we're obedient to God and whatever he's calling you to do, Okay, and those decisions we make, in response to that, God is going to give us success. And even if he doesn't, we still were obedient to the call. And for Eric Lytle, he's determined that it wasn't his will to win the 100-yard dash. He's, he was in obedience. God, it didn't work. It didn't, just didn't work out. So he then attempts to do something else, another race, 400-meter dash. And in response to that, God blesses him. And he's, he's through, through obedience, he determined God's will. So that's, the, that's as we, I, I'm ready to close here pretty much. But as we you look at this, just think about it. Each, each and every day, you can, you can open the word of God up. You can honor God and love him by doing that. Or just honoring him in general. Loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor, which we do here at the church, many opportunities to serve and, and love one another. And then through that offering to God, that offering, you don't have to do anything else. That's it. There's no magic potion. There's no works. You got to go out and work hard, do something. You don't have to do any of that stuff. All you have to do in response to that, God will bless you and he'll give you direction as to what you do. And then you have the freedom to just say yes or no. And through that process, you start that journey of actually doing things for God that were called, that you know are specifically for you, 
according to his will. So that's, that's my conversation with you all today. We got off to a little bumpy start. I had a little bit of trouble, but I started to gear up a bit. Okay? You don't realize how much you rely on those PowerPoints. But anyway, uh, let's close in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us and your freedom, the freedom that we have in you, the grace that you provided for us, and the fact that, Father, we're part of your kingdom, we're part of your process, and we just thank you for that blessed thing, that wonderful thing that we can do each and every day. Amen. All right. We'll see you next Sunday.